up, y'all? Episode number two, season number three, Mambo number five. Today we tackle an iconic film, one that pushed together two actors that I think played very well together, but we'll get into that a little later. Our film today is 2012's American crime drama Lawless, starring Shai Leboeuf. Tom Hardy and Jessica Chastain, and we are joined by one of my best friends, Mike DiCamilla. You may remember him from such podcasts as Season 1's Draft Day and Season 2's Monster. I do want to take this as an opportunity to say thank you to everyone who checked out DFAT Wars. If you haven't yet, head over to Gutsy Media's YouTube page and see all three rounds of our movie trivia fun. We had a great time doing it, and I'm sure you'll have a good time watching it. So, without further ado, on with the show. And the reason, there we go, now it's kicking in. My <laughs> pleasure when we get together and chat movies. And the reason why is because you're one of my guests who puts some serious thought into your movie selections. And I just want you to know, I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you having me back. Um Hopefully there was, there's no mishaps like we've had in the past. This will be a third time's a charm type of deal, oh, right? It's true. That is true. Absolutely. <laughs> so you picked 2012's American crime drama Lawless starring Shai LaBeouf from Transformers. Um, he was in Transformers Dark Side of the Moon right before this in 2011. So for those of you who are Shia LaBeouf fans, on the scale of Shia LaBeouf craziness, he's just starting to inch into the crazy. So he does Transformers in 2011. This comes out in 2012. And then by 2014, by the time he does Fury with Brad Pitt, he's full-blown crazy. So <laughs> Now, the first just, time you said his name, it was right. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Uh, also, Tom Hardy, one of my all-time favorite actors, he's in between uh, a comedy, This Means War. Uh, I don't remember that movie. That was like early in his career, 2012. Also 2012, Lawless. And then also 2012, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, right. Which is crazy. Obviously, Fun uh, fact, in this movie, he was actually bigger than what the uh, producer was hoping for because he was preparing for the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, so they absolutely. were they were hoping for a skinnier uh, forest. Yeah, so so his his preparation for Dark Knight Rises is going to heavily influence the movie of Lawless and how it turned out and the character and also some uh, on set antics that we'll get into later. And then uh, Jessica Chastain, phenomenal actress. She's just uh, getting off of The Help from 2011 and just before Zero Dark Thirty in 2012, which I really think Zero Dark Thirty is what's going to launch her career. Oh, yeah, 100%. A household name at that point. This movie comes out in August 29th, uh, 2012. It's screened at the Cannes Film Festival in May, um, but comes out to theaters in August. So, So what drew you to this movie? Why Lawless? Um, you know, okay. So you mentioned it earlier. I I try to look into okay, what what is Bobby like? What is what? What do I think? If I give him a movie, he's That's gonna right. think the movie's good. So season three, I as if you guys know, I challenged all the guests to pick a movie that they thought was going to wind up on our top ten at the end of the season. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, so with that direction, you picked Lawless. Yeah. Well, not only that, but it's like this time I was like, okay, what would impress him? has to be something that maybe would impress me at the same time. And this movie was always in the back of my mind. Like, I remember when I watched this movie the first time, legitimately after the movie, I was like, I fucking like this movie. Like, I really like it. I, I don't say that very often like that. Um, but then, you know, time went by, and I kind of forgot about it. And then when I was thinking and, like, looking, doing some research, like, what movie should I present to Bobby? For some reason, in the back of my mind, it came up, and I didn't even know the name of the movie. That's why I was like, damn, I know what it is. I just started researching like <laughs> Western gangster movies and I found it. I was like, oh shit, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny that you, you talk about it being a Western. It really, it very much is a combination between a Western and a gangster. Uh, it's set in like the 1920s, 1930s. 1930s yeah. yeah. Prohibition. Uh, and it follows a family that, and we'll get into the details of the movie later. Let me, let's hit the bullet points real quick on the stats of the movie. It's 116 minutes. Uh, it's about an hour and 56 minutes. The budget for the film, $26 million. 
The box office 54.4, so it does positive. It does almost double, a little over double, just about double. Right, um, right. So it's really it's right on that line between what we would consider being a successful movie and a not successful movie. It's kind of right on that that hump there. Well, I, I, don't, a, I don't think it helped that um, not to interrupt you, but I don't think it helped that what was it John Hillcoat the, was the director. Mm-hmm. He, in my opinion, you know, and I'm, I'm not a big movie buff. You know, maybe you probably know more, but he's not as well known as some of these other, you know, Steven Spielberg's or just different directors. So yeah, for sure. Uh, so John this Hillcoat movie to me was like a sneaky good movie. Yeah, the only other movie that he's done is the movie The Road. Uh, I haven't seen that. It was a pretty popular movie. He's in a lot of video shorts. Same thing with the writer, uh, Nick Cave. He's really done nothing else. He's actually a composer, mainly, uh, as a profession. But the movie's produced by Red Wagon Entertainment, uh, Revolver Films, Blum Hanson Allen Films. Uh, It's distributed by the Weinstein Company. Now, the Weinstein Company, obviously, everything (laughs) shit hits the fan in October of 2017 when that New York Times article is published. The company doesn't file for Chapter 11 until 2018. It's eventually sold to a Dallas-based equity company called Lantern Capital for $289 million. So there is no more Weinstein Company. It's now owned by uh, the uh, Lantern Capital in Dallas, Texas. A little fun fact there. That's kind of fun. Now, Uh, did this this dude uh, do something about the Black Mirror TV series? Which one? Nick Cave? The writer? No. Uh, John Hillcoat. Yeah, he's done. He's done some of the episodes uh, on Black Mirror. Um, yeah, mostly like, like mostly short films, shit like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So you touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, the the movie's based on a book called "The Wettest County in the World" by Matt Bondurant. Which is funny because it's Bondurant. It's, yeah, it's the same name as the characters in the movie. So the the book is based on his grandfather Jack, yep, who is actually exactly. the youngest of the the three boys. So it's Jack, Forrest, and Howard. And Jack Forrest, is Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Jack Jack is Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Howard is the middle uh, of the sons. He's played by a gentleman by the name of uh, I got to hear somewhere Jason Clark. Jason Clark, in my opinion, is phenomenal in this movie he he does not get enough credit and we'll talk about this he's got a couple of key scenes uh you might remember him from zero dark 30 he's he was in terminator genesis he was in dawn of the planet of the apes he's one of those actors that you definitely recognize his face but you might not know his name jason clark great in this movie we'll get to that a little later well this movie had a slew of just good actors just you know for sure yeah and then obviously the oldest brother forrest is played by tom hardy uh, the book gets opted in 2008. Uh, they loved the idea of the brothers living in the end. Traditionally, uh, quote, traditionally, the gangster film teaches us that we've got to pay for our sins. Usually the gangster is shot down in a blaze of glory and doesn't get up again. Uh, Nick Cave went on to say, we also loved the idea that it sort of touched on the whole immortality that a lot of these guys start to feel when they do survive so many strange experiences. According to Cave, a lot of brutal stuff did not make it from the novel to the film. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit because we are going to go on to talk about the immortality um, kind of legend behind Forrest in this movie, which plays very interesting uh, that it was built on reality. Well, it's funny you say that because it's actually, it's um, not even just Forrest, it's Howard. So at the beginning of the movie... Uh, they're riding in the car, those three, and they're you know they're bringing the the moonshine. Whatever. This is after they shot the pig, and uh, he say it so casually. This is after they shot the pig. <laughs> no, but so they're ta- they're driving it, and I think it's Shia LaBeouf's character Jack is saying um, basically his his family, his brothers are indestructible. But he's like, yeah, he said Howard was at the Great War, and yeah. his whole battalion died at sea, and he was the only survivor. And yeah. then Forrest lived through the Spanish flu that he caught along with their mom and dad, I believe, which his mom and dad died and Forrest lived through it. <laughs> yeah. So these guys literally think they're immortal. They start kind of believing their own bullshit. Right. And, they uh, do. It's 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 pretty interesting how it, how it transcends the characters. So the tagline for the film, when the law became corrupt, outlaws became heroes. This is a missed opportunity, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Where, where's the, where's the marketing guy here? This is what it should have been. When the law becomes corrupt, 
the corrupt become the law. I mean, you got to do the back and forth. That's how you do it. It's the mirror image. People well, love that shit. Picture, whose face do you show when you do that? Oh, you got to do, you got to do like a split face, half Tom Hardy, half like that Chicago cop. Oh, dude, that Chicago cop. I like that. I, like that. I, sh- I should design shit like that. Like uh, I- movies rated R for strong, bloody violence, language, and some sexually nudity. Uh, if you get to see uh, Jessica Chastain naked, which was, that was cool. I like it when movies just, sneak that in there. I don't know. Some of the um, whole, you know, both of them, Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy, both had their women in the, in the movie. And I didn't really care for either aspect, you know, yeah, to be honest with you, I was thinking about this earlier too. Jessica Chastain's whole storyline does not need to be in it at all. Like there's not no, there's no rhyme or reason for it. I guess it does kind of humanize Forrest a little bit, but you could have done that through other means or just but, not at all. But I, I do kind of like how they didn't really give you a backstory about her. Like there was, she was there yeah, you you kind of heard a few things throughout the movie, but other than that, it's like you don't know who she is, but you kind of you're not you're okay with her in that movie. Yeah, like, okay, I like her. She's cool. Yeah, I like how she just kind of shows up, and uh, you get the sense that she's running away from something. But you're, I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm kind of fine not knowing. You right. Know? Um. So. Yeah, let's get into it a little bit. So uh, the movie opens up and it says it's based on a true story. And like you said, there's a bunch of kids running around killing pigs well, in this opening I think, scene. I think what they're trying to portray is the the initial scene that opens as a kid. And it, it starts off with the other kid saying Jack. So obviously we're talking about uh, Jack Bondurant, which is Shia LaBeouf. Right, the and youngest of the three. Right, and they they need to kill the pig, or they're they're, they're going to kill the pig for whatever reason. And Jack has the gun; and he just won't pull the trigger. And Forrest is the one that says, "You know, you won't do it." And then Forrest ends up pulling the gun, and that's where the movie starts. They're pulling the trigger, shooting the pig, and boom. Yeah, th- this whole this whole opening scene, I I don't it has no relevance in the movie. It's kind of just weird. It, it seems very weird. I semi I kind of disagree though. I think it I think they're they're portraying Jack as this innocent kid. Um, I mean, I think, looking looking back on it, I get that. Let me, but let me at the time when you don't know the characters, it's like let I don't ask know. You a question: yeah, go At ahead. this point in time, who's the main character in the movie? Do you think Jack? Okay, a lot of people mistaken that. A lot of people think this movie's about Forrest. Well, at this at this point in time, when I'm watching it, that's the only character name I know. I mean, it's got to right. be the main character, right? Like they're obviously alluding to the fact that you need to know this guy first. True. Um, I will say this though: I love the feel of the movie. It's very, it's very backwoods. Um, you get a, you get an opening scene of like a bunch of these um, fires lit in the woods because oh, they're yeah, all yeah. The, the stills, which yes. is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, there, at no point in time do we go into the big city or do we see a bunch of like tall buildings. It's really just yeah, woods and, right. and back and road. The only time you see like buildings per se is in one of the early scenes with Shia LaBeouf and and yeah, we'll talk. But I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot of even the beginning after the pig was a lot of they showed the woods. Well, I mean that that really is the the scene you were just talking about is really the next scene. It's so Gary Oldman is in this movie. He's which is awesome. Freaking gangster, and they show him. So they show him early on as kind of like just you know things that happen around town. And I guess right. they, they live close enough to Chicago where some of the Chicago mafioso bootlegging stuff has poured over a few times. So you get these quick glances of like Gary Ullman driving through town or like a high speed chase. And, and he's like, he's got a Tommy gun. He's a gangster. He's, he's a straight legit. up gangster. He's, he's legit. legit. <laughs> um, and then you got these, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher their name. These Bondurant boys who are basically bootleggers in this town outside of Chicago. And they're, you see them, you know, delivering moonshine to the cops, which is pretty cool. And you see them delivering moonshine to the the funeral of a little bean. Um, There's a a funeral going on and they deliver moonshine to that. They hang out for a while. Well, that was the messed up part is they were almost attacked in that scene too, because they were delivering to uh, colored people. Right, so this is the best part. I, these are my notes that I wrote down. So I wrote down Black Funeral, Little Bean. Because they did make it a very apparent this is a black funeral, and that's what caused it. They had that dude sitting up, smoking and drinking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. So they come out from delivering the moonshine, and there's a couple guys there that are you know, trying to make pr- trouble because they're delivering to the colored people. 
Uh, so th- I wrote in my notes, Forrest is a bad man. Dude, he's got brass knuckles and he like beats the shit out of these guys. Uh, Jack Shia would would drink moonshine on set, uh, which almost caused his co-star to leave the film. Tom Hardy and Shia LaBeouf got into a huge fight on set. Did you hear about this? No. So this is a huge story that came out of you know the, the filming of this movie. So the the way the story goes uh, is that Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy got into a fight on set, and Shia LaBeouf knocked Tom Shit. Hardy out. Shut the fuck up. Swear to God. So that's, that was the story for a couple of years. Damn. So Shia LaBeouf goes through his crazy phase. Tom Hardy, if you've listened to any interviews he's done, he's a few screws loose too. Tom Hardy's right. one of my favorite actors. I, I love Tom Hardy. The dude is just insane. Well, th- hold that, though, because we need to talk about that. We need to talk about how, your feelings about these two actors. Uh, we had okay. that conversation before. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Shia LaBeouf does the show on, on YouTube, the um, Hot Ones. Oh yeah, and they Which ask him about phenomenal. That. So he tells a great story where he says basically he's got his girlfriend on set and they're hanging out in the trailer, or whatever. And he goes, "Me and Tom were good friends. We used to like you know just wrestle, like we were like brothers, you know." Right. And he's like, he came back from his weight training because he's weight training during this movie to get into shape for Dark Knight, and out of nowhere he bursts into Shia LaBeouf's trailer. Now Shia LaBeouf is butt naked. <laughs> and they start wrestling, you know, and Tom Hardy's like lifting him up and throwing what him around. Like he can, he's huge. And he trips and he falls down a set of stairs. Oh shit. And he hurts. He, I, I wrote it down somewhere. He ends up hurting himself. And then when he's telling people on set, Tom Hardy's telling people on set the next day that he hurt himself because Shia LaBeouf knocked him out. And Shia's like, I didn't, I didn't knock you out. So that's how the rumor. Got. Tom Hardy started that rumor, which so I they thought were just was hilarious. Around. They were just fucking around, yeah. Oh. So we're introduced to Shia LaBeouf's love interest, who is the daughter of a preacher, and which is kind of awkward. Which is kind of weird. But let's uh, no, so we we accidentally skipped over uh, Gary Oldman. We didn't tell the story about. Okay, so Gary Ullman is I wrote down earlier. I think that's that's pivotal for a future thing we gotta talk about. I wrote down earlier in my notes, Gary Ullman equals gangster. And then this scene happens, and I wrote down Gary Ullman equals fucking gangster. (laughs) So Shia LaBeouf is going to the store or something, like he's walking up the uh, I think he's like filling up with water or maybe getting empty uh moonshine bottles or something he's walking through their town and when i say their town it's like one dirt street with it's like a western Western yeah exactly and gary ullman pulls up in his vehicle like going like super fast yeah they go oh they're they drive by almost they're like sped up almost as if they're getting the fuck out of there and And they stop slam on his brakes he hops out pulls out his tommy gun there's another car coming he just Freaking blah, 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 blows up the gut, the car. The car swerves, hit hits a building. He keeps shooting, and then he like does this gangster walk back to his car, and like he looks at like shy, gives him a <laughs> wink, like yeah, dude, fuck <laughs> you. It was just it was so gangster. He was he just did not. The best part of that was that little thin cigarette he had. That was the like whole you could time. tell it was like self rolled. It looked like the it was nice. And tight. It was perfect. It but was, it, was, it was even better. So at the end, they drive off, and and Jack Bondurant like realizes what the fuck just happened. Right. And then he instantly thinks of Cricket, who is uh, I think it's another brother of his, and yeah, he runs out. Friend, yeah. Yeah, he runs out to grab the shells from. Right. Because Gary Oldman is like their hero. Like he's right. like the it's coolest AKA, guy in the world. Uh, Floyd Banner. That's his name, Floyd Banner. That's yep, the gangster's yep. name. So, so now you we skipped that, and then the next thing I want to talk about is how you, you said uh, Tom Hardy is a bad is a badass. He so they went badass. to that funeral, right? right? I thought this shit was fucking hilarious the way he played this. So let's take it back. So they Howard and uh, Forrest go into the funeral. Shia LaBeouf or Jack stays in the car. Um, they're just like in an alleyway or whatnot. And for whatever reason, Jack gets out of the car, and three guys walk up to him. Mainly one guy gets in his face, and he starts asking him questions, and he's, like, robbing him, basically. 
And he pulls out a knife. He's like, I'm going to stab you or whatever, whatever. And then Forrest and Howard walk out. And he goes, who are you? He's like, are you the main guy or whatever? He's like, are you the leader or such and such? And I thought it was fucking badass how Forrest was just talking. It was kind of just like random shit. He was like, you know, sometimes we go through life and birds, birds fly through and they don't even see the shit that's changing right in front of them. And he's saying that as he's putting the brass knuckles on, basically insinuating, motherfucker, you don't even see me putting my brass knuckles on. (laughs) He's crazy. He's crazy. It's he plays it so well. And what was best about this is uh, afterwards, I saw a couple of interviews where they were talking about how his thought process on the character was he wanted to play it very maternal. He wanted right. to be a grandmother. So he did the mannerisms of his grandmother. He walked with a shuffle. He did these kind of like small light steps. If you watch the film, he's even got like a, a shaw on the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And he and it's it's crazy that he, he was does criticized that. for that. I know, which was ridiculous because I thought it was done very well. Like I he's think criticized for a lot of the times he would like do this moan like this. Mm. If you if you want to see Tom Hardy as one of the greatest actors of our generation, watch the the TV series um, Taboo. He did it. He did one series, or maybe it might have been two seasons. It might have been two seasons for FX, and this show is freaking awesome it's amazing watch that you'll love it but anyway so jessica chatstain's character shows up she's come from chicago she just wants to get away from the city and wants to work at the the bondurant boys yeah she wants to go somewhere that's quiet and like no busyness and no nothing going on basically is what she wants in addition to moonshine, they have a rather large house and and they have like an, a bar kind of right. hotel type thing set up. So it's a hang around spot and she's going to be like the bartender slash manager, if you will. And uh, she gets the job and she has this kind of flirtation with Forrest where like he takes his hat off and puts it on the table <laughs> and like she moves it to the chair and he moves it back to the table. And but like, he they're... waits until she walked away to move it back. Right. It's just it's very flirtatious. Right. Uh, so then obviously we have our conflict starts happening. The local cops that, that the Bonnerant boys have been paying off show up at their establishment and they have a couple new friends. And these friends yeah. are cops from Chicago. And hey, that's that's it's a it's a special deputy, okay? Right. It's they're, a special deputy in the of, Commonwealth Attorney. There you go. Yeah, they have fancy titles. They're in charge of making sure that all of the alcohol goes away from the whole, you know, region area that they're in. And they're basically here to say, give us some money and we won't bust you. And Jack's or, or excuse me, Forrest's whole premise is I don't mind paying off the local cops. It's the cost of doing business, but I'm not going to be shaken down by these out of towners and basically tells them to go fuck themselves. And he does it in a very direct manner. Um, bypassing. That scene is like by far one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, it's very cool. So you you have you have like the, the head honcho guy. He's in the car. He's off in the distance. Then you have his peon who's out talking shit to Forrest, and then the two local cops. And yeah, so right, I, I it, what the heck is the Commonwealth Attorney name? It's uh, Mason Wardell. There you and go. Then, uh, Special Deputy Charlie Rakes. So rather than talk to Charlie, Forrest walks around everybody and goes right up to the guy in the car and like knocks on the window. Yeah, but you like, gotta tell you gotta tell the story before that. So so essentially this guy, let's let's describe him a little bit for the listeners here. So this guy walks up, everybody who's uh, familiar with uh, Guy Pierce is the actor. Yes. But Great actor. if you've ever if you've ever listened to the movie back in the day, I forgot the name of it, uh, but the band or not the movie the song back in the day, the band was like alien ant farm Mm -hmm. and they remade a Michael Jackson hit. And it was, it was a good song. We were in like high school, right? This dude had like a weird haircut with like the little rascals cut. That's what Charlie rakes. Charlie rakes had like this, like this cut that this, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a line down the center of his head. And then it was like glued. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was insane. So much gel. It's like squished to your head. Yeah, so he so they walk up and, and Forrest says to the sheriff and he's he won't talk to Charlie Rakes. Forrest right. is looking at the sheriff and he says, uh, basically who the fuck are these guys? And 
Rakes walks up and pokes Forrest. And he's like, I'm, I'm the guy that's going to make your life hell unless you pay, basically. Right. And Forrest looks at him and just says, don't you ever fucking touch me again. Right. And then the sheriff says, hey, we want to buy. So oh, go ahead. One thing I noticed. So he does. He pokes Forrest and talks some shit. And Forrest straight looks him dead in the eyes like stone, <laughs> stone cold Tom Hardy eyes. He did. And it's just blatantly don't ever fucking touch me again. Those and then if you eyes. watch the rest of that scene, he doesn't. He doesn't right. touch him after that. And but it's, it's funny. like, he, he continues talking shit, but he knows I'm not going to touch him. <laughs> but it's funny because, so he, he touched him, right? And then uh, the sheriff, I think the sheriff was kind of asking for a bottle of moonshine just to kind of change the subject. Right. He's like, hey, let me get a bottle of moonshine. He gives him some money. And as they're talking, Forrest and the sheriff, uh, Rakes is walking around the corner just looking at Maggie, uh, who's sitting on the porch there. Right. And Forrest... Before he takes the money, he looks over at Rakes and notices that he's looking at Maggie. Then he takes the money, walks over to the Commonwealth attorney who's in the car, and he says, can I help you, son? And he says, yeah, you bring this fucking clown around here again, and you'll be the person to pull the cleaver out of his head. And he sticks the money in that dude's pocket and walks away. That's <laughs> crazy. He's, he's crazy. It was badass, though. So Forrest tells the big guy to, to fuck off. Um, and that's when you get the the legend. So the the local cop tells the Chicago guy that there's a people around here think the Bonnerot boys are immortal. Um, and you can you kind of get the sense like he doesn't really believe it, but he definitely believes that they're you know badass, hard to kill dudes. It's I don't. I think that the local cop does a good job of portraying the facial expressions of like. Does he believe it or does he not believe it? Like, is right. he just telling you the legend or does he really is he really buying it? Which is really cool. Um, but I think they that, both can. I think they both convey immortal in different ways at the same time. Sitting at that same table, I think like the guy who's talking, the sheriff or the deputy, whomever. I think he says indestructible because like if you come after him, everybody around here is going to come after you. Yeah. And I think the other guy thinks basically you can't kill him. Yeah. It's it's definitely a weird scene. Guy Pierce is is I don't know. He's not he's not doing it for me in this movie. I like him, but as an actor, I think he's hit or miss. And this this movie is not his strong suit. He doesn't ruin the movie, but he's he's not the highlight of my movie experience here. Well, I think um, his point is to make you not like him. Yeah, he makes me uncomfortable. And maybe yeah. that's the point. It just makes me uncomfortable in the scenes that he's in. <laughs> so then we have this whole thing where Shia LaBeouf goes to church. He like he basically sneaks. I don't want to say sneaks in, but he walks into this church to to see this girl. F- first off, what the hell religion is this? Yeah, it um, was like a mixture of Amish and. That's, that's what I wrote down. I wrote down Amish. I looked it up later. They're Mennonites, so they're they're very close to Amish. Basically, they're in this small room. They're like praying, and they start washing each other's feet. Yeah, like and, they switch sides. Right, and. Uh, Shia LaBeouf's character, or maybe Shia LaBeouf on the set, really was has been drinking. So he's in this hot room washing Perf- feet. He's, he's profusely so, sweating. Yeah, he's so he runs out before he gets sick. It's it's just really weird. Um, then sh- he bumps into sh- the Chicago cop, uh, and basically the Chicago guy beats the shit out of Jake, the youngest yeah, the, brother. Yeah, well, well, Rakes, the Chicago guy, went to uh, the Bondurant household. Looking right. for, and he walks in and he he talking to Cricket and the other old lady. He says, "There's three needs, three things you need to tell me. Where's the still? Where's the liquor? And where's the money?" Right. And then that's when Jack walks in and says, "We don't have any of them." And then that's where breaks is like, "Who the hell are you?" He's like, "Oh, so you're the you're a bonderant, huh?" Right. And, and he beats the shit out of him. He, he oh, dude, he, he beats the shit good. out of him. What's crazy about this is. You watch this happen, and it's pre- it's pretty brutal. Um, you watch this happen, and then the next scene is obviously Forrest finding out about this or seeing his brother. And I'm immediately like, at "Oh man, bar. Forrest! Forrest is about to, you know, fuck some shit up. Like he's gonna be he's gonna be mad. He's gonna be looking at his brother." But rather than be this consoling brother, he <laughs> tells Jake, and I quote, "As long as you're a brother of mine, you'll never let this happen again." Like he wants to like, toughen up. Yeah, like exactly, like toughen up and and fight back. And I was like, damn, that's crazy. Well, that's what stood out to me more is that 
um, so Jack is sitting there filling up the salt, the salt canisters to the bar, mm-hmm. and Forrest walks up, and uh, I think the first question he asks him is, he says, "What do, what do you intend to do now?" And that's yeah. what that's what I liked the best. I was like, "Oh shit, that was that Hell was kind of yeah. cool." <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool, and he's definitely de- uh, trying to toughen his brother up, which I thought was awesome. So then the the two cops show up, and they try to like you know harass Forrest a little bit and get some money out of him um and this is one of the greatest scenes of the movie i think hey come take a seat at the campfire you're not the only one who joins i've got friends that come over sometimes too we talk about a ton of interesting things from geek culture then we cover some conspiracies or philosophical thoughts or monsters you know we talked about bigfoot in one episode it's a lot of fun so come join me at the campfire chats a DFAT entertainment podcast hosted on Spotify and other fine places you find podcasts. Need more context on your favorite movie? Is Obama. Obama. As okay. Senator Obama. Ever wonder why they did or didn't do that thing or include that scene? This is prime. Like, this is perfect this is quality entertainment. Check out Gutsy Media Podcast as my friends and I take a deep dive into everything from blockbusters to indie films. The weakest apple cider bitch beers. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. That's Gutsy Media Podcast for everything movies. Because Forrest... Calm, cool, and collected, sitting on the porch, just rocking back and forth, talking to the cops. And he knows the cops are there to shake him down. His brother just got beat up, and he's like, "Have you met Howard?" And out of out of the Dude, house, you can hear the like steps. A freaking giant gorilla! Howard comes out, Jason Clark, and just lays into these cops. And the cop tries to grab his gun. What are you going to shoot me? You going to shoot me? Dude, like no, it was so funny. Like like it was almost like comic relief because you could hear Howard's footsteps in the house <laughs> yeah. before Forrest goes, "Hey, have you guys met Howard?" Yeah, it was great. That this. This whole scene was shot very well. Like you, you see, you're watching Forrest walk out of the house from behind, but it's like close to the ground. You can't really see who it is. And as soon yeah. as he says the name, oh, it's great. It's just a very well shot scene. Um, so th- at this point, we're about halfway through the movie, and this is where I'm like, okay, both of them are gangsters. Like I didn't think Howard was that gangster until now, but yeah, Howard's pretty oh, gangster dude. too. Absolutely. So Forrest has to deal with some new people who are going to show up and he tells Howard, he wants Howard to be there. He doesn't know these people. They're from Chicago. Um, Howard has to go check the stills, but Forrest says, that's fine. Just be back by 11. He's not back by 11. Howard is drunk. Yeah. um, Because there's moonshine. He gets wasted, passes out. And Forrest is stuck meeting these guys on his own. Shit goes down. This is what I wrote in my notes. Oh, God. Here we go. Forrest kills, and then I crossed off kills, <laughs> gets killed, crossed off gets killed, um, but she turned around. That's what I wrote in my notes. So <laughs> okay, this so... is the scene what happens. So the, the two guys from Chicago basically rough Forrest up, and they— Well, no, like, so, you're, so you don't really know— that those are the two guys, in my opinion, you don't know those right. are the two guys until later on. And a big part of it is, so at one point that I think we already went past and didn't talk about was uh, Rakes went to the apartment of Maggie and brought up, you know, what she oh, used yeah. to do in Chicago. About I think she was a dancer or something like that. And these two guys from Chicago with the bar were sitting there and they were basically like poking at her about it. Like, oh, where are your feathers or this and that. And Cricket, I think it was a setup to where Cricket was kind of watching how these guys were before Forrest did business with them. Because if you didn't notice, when stuff started going sour and they started running their mouths, Cricket walked over and all he did was like a a head nod, like no. And that's when Forrest got up and walked out to the bar and Uh. the dude had his fucking hands stabbed. Yeah, I didn't was, catch that. Yeah. So oh, he had well, the guy. Well so, yeah, so one of the guys uh, had his hand stabbed, and he goes, I bought an extra thing, an extra jar of uh, moonshine, and she won't give that shit to me. And she, again with the nod, she just looked at Forrest, she says, like basically with her eyes, no, I didn't. Or no, no, they didn't. And right. he just looks at them, he's like, no, you guys didn't, whatever. You guys better fucking leave. He was like, we yeah. came here to buy moonshine. He's like, I'm not selling it to you. So he's like protecting them. Mind right. you, Let's take a step back. It was funny to me. So the second time I watched this movie, 
the first scene you see those two men, it's shot from like the bar angle, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy that gets punched in the throat in the scene with the brass knuckles, mm-hmm. he already has like a hematoma on his uh... damn neck. So I think it was made to like pop when he got punched. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> Good catch. Yeah, that's, that's, that was probably done by mistake. Th- this is a pretty brutal scene. So so she leaves. Jessica Chastain's character leaves. They close up for the night. And Forrest is there by himself because he lives there. They These drag, two guys, he drug those dudes out. Right. These He gets into a scuffle with these guys. He ends up punching one of them in the throat with the brass knuckles. That's he, awesome. He, yeah, that was pretty badass. It, but it, 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 at the end of the day, it looks like Forrest is going to win. He's going to kill both of these guys. But instead, they somehow turn the table on him. They well, get he him. Just, he just drug him outside. He just right. drug him outside. He drug him down the steps, left him outside. He went inside. Him and uh, Maggie or whatnot talked for a little bit. Um, she cleaned him up, and then she left. So, but that's that's my thing, though. So when he drags him outside, I'm thinking they're dead. Like he punched the guy in the throat with brass knuckles. That's what I thought. So when he goes inside to get cleaned up, I'm like, well, eventually they're going to go out there and take care of the bodies. But then she drives off and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I guess maybe they're not dead. And then they show up and they grab him and then they slit his throat. That so I'm like, crazy. well, now he's fucking dead. So and then you see her car stop. And you're, it's very clear that she's going to have to turn around to get something. Um. They they're they're very nice here. They don't get graphic. She goes back, and it's very clear she bumps into the two guys, and they do what you would assume would happen. But what I will say is they they don't get graphic, and that's that's good. Yeah, she goes back into the house. So right, like you said, she turned around. This all happened when she's driving away. She so he gets his throat cut, and mind you, they don't show like the throat bleeding but right. he uses his hands and i think he's just trying to hold his throat closed right from bleeding too much so he's laying on the ground on the outside of the car so when she drives up she he's on the opposite side so she doesn't see him right and she walks into the house and these two dudes are in the house right so like you said they don't really show much but you get the gist of what happened and right. things like that and then the next scene you were in the hospital and Forrest is in the hospital bed and it, they're very quick to, to say that he has he walked to the hospital after getting his throat slit now okay i'm I, I'm, I'm right away i'm like that's kind of bullshit but whatever i'll let it go He's maybe just adding to the legend. It's adding to the yeah, legend. Everybody believing the legend for what it is because it's exactly it's blown up so much that there's nothing you can say that he can't do right. at this point. I will say though that from this point on, it bothers me how much Tom Hardy's character both talks and how well he talks after because for some for somebody who's had a throat cut. For the remainder of the movie, he's got a bandage on his throat. And he does he does kind of talk like this, well, no, but he still no. talks a lot. At one point, you can see the stitches. Oh, yeah, I thought true. that was kind of cool. Yeah. But, I mean, I think he, for the most part, he did a good job of not talking so much. But, yeah, like you said, when he does, it's not very evident that he had a throat cut, per se. So, so while Forrest is in the hospital, Jake is going to take it upon himself to sell the whole stash of moonshine they have. Now, they haven't been they haven't been selling moonshine. They've been making it, but they haven't been selling it because they can't get across the border because of the whole thing with the Chicago well, guy. And Forrest keeps the keys on him. Right, right. So so Jake gets the keys, he takes the stash, and he goes to sell the moonshine. He gets stuck up and... They they're gonna steal the stash and they're gonna bury the two guys and Gary Ullman shows up and he's fucking gangster and he's basically like yeah kill the two drivers which is uh, Jack and uh, he said it was such ease too it was yeah. with cricket it was cricket with cricket it was, yeah well, cricket was that they portray him as almost like a slower yeah like, almost like a mentally yeah but he's like this soft and like he won't hurt anybody and he's this nice kid and right. Shia LaBeouf's best friend and blah 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 so I know I know what you're doing you're building up. Cricket's character for later. We'll get to that. I will tell you this. I don't like Cricket. I I could get rid of the whole Cricket character and still be fine with this movie. Well, I, I, I don't think it was Cricket. I think it, they, they want you to fe- have certain feelings for when yeah, things down the line happen. It's it's a win for the bad guy. You have to give the bad guy a couple wins. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to sprinkle this in. And, and I, I, this is one of the parts of the movie that really, to me, holds it back from being great 
is that there's probably about three or four main characters that I could completely eliminate and it wouldn't even change. Oh the story. yeah. No, I, yeah, I can see that. Um, and, and to me, cricket's one of them, but, but regardless, they, they Gary Ullman, they meet him. He's going to kill them both. He, they're in a ditch already. And I forgot. He says something about being a Bonnerant from, he from, says I'm from the Bonnerant stills. Right. And that's when Gary Ullman's like, get him out of the, get him out of the fucking hole. Right. And he makes it. So they, they end up sitting down at the desk. They work out a deal to buy the moonshine $5. But the deal was a big deal. No pun intended. So initially later, early in the movie, I don't think it's said too much or too, um, they don't really care if you know, but I noticed it was typically like $2 and 50 cents per uh, jar or per cask or whatever. And he sold it to, not only somebody, but he sold it to Gary Oldman, Floyd Banner, for five dollars. Right. It's it's so he was able to go back. Yeah, that's crazy. He's able to go back to Forrest and basically rub it in his face. Right. But but the best part of this is at one point Gary Oldman's character, the badass gangster guy, says, "Hey, I heard what happened to Forrest, and it had nothing to do with me. And make sure you tell him that. Make sure Forrest knows." This this shit had nothing to do with me. People love this dude. Because he's like, I don't want to come back. I don't want for, I don't want Forrest after me. Like that, that was, was crazy cool. to me. But not only that, but he he gave him a gift, an address. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, so he goes back. He kind of rubs it in his face. Um, and then I have in my notes the brothers went without him, and I don't know what that yeah, means. Yeah. So uh, so he went back and. I kind of like that scene when he went back because this entire time in the movie, Jack was trying to be like Howard and Forrest. Right. So he finally gets back and he, and they're like, you stole the shit. What the hell are you thinking? And he tells him, he's like, Hey, I sold it $5, you know, whatever, whatever. And then he brings up Floyd Banner and he's like, Floyd Banner. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. And then he gives him, he's like, no, he's got a gift for you. Here's the address. And when he handed him the address, that's when Forrest, it clicked. He was like, Oh shit, this motherfucker. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that address was to they didn't specify who i'm assuming it's one guy but maybe it was those two guys yeah it had to be um, the two guys that, that yeah did that too. they went to the his the, to that guy's house without jack and jack ended up meeting him there oh that's right that's right and they uh they kill the guys and they cut off their balls yep and they <laughs> mail it to the, the gangster guy in chicago and then at this point in the movie you had that typical like back and forth like the guys in Chicago are going to do something and it's going to piss off the Bonnerant boys. And then they're going to do something that's going to piss off Chicago. But in, in the grand scheme of things, it's all kind of light. You know, it's not, it's, it's blowing something up or crashing something. Yeah, well, or, that one but, dude that had like, was it tar that he had dumped all oh, over his yeah, body? He had like hot and he was tar. left at the doorstep. That's, that was nuts. Yeah, it's pretty crazy shit. So, and then we also have Jessica Chastain character and Forrest. Um, are now full blown like dating, like they're screwing, right. they're sleeping together. She's banging um, him. She's banging him. He's banging her. It's all banging <laughs> stuff. So Jack has built this humongous still operation and is selling all this moonshine and he's you know living it up with all his money. He decides to bring his new girlfriend to see the moonshine. Which is set. so fucking stupid. Now Chicago is following him. So he's able to follow Jack right to where the moonshine setup is, and then all hell breaks loose. So there's a fire, people are shooting, Bonnerant boys are running around, the girlfriend's running around, cricket. They, they, they had the chance to kill Rakes right there, too, because right. they had Rakes on the ground, but instead he stepped on his face and called him a Nance. Yeah, he rubs poop on him. But so so that's <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, that is that the pig? I mean, literally, it's a cop. Is that the is that the symbolism from earlier in the movie that that Possibly. Jack just couldn't kill him and had Jack, but then Forrest could. So that's got to be the symbolism there. It's literally a cop, a pig. Jack couldn't kill him, but then Forrest does. True, but we'll see what happens at the end, yeah. though. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens at the end. I don't, I don't even know. We'll have to just. <laughs> so, um. So they and everybody ends up running away, and obviously Forrest is pissed off. But what ends up happening is Chicago gangster catches Cricket, and he kills him. 
that's when Jack flips a switch. But that's that. Yeah. That's why I wanted to bring up that detail. <clears throat> oh, about how awesome cricket was and how nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I wanted to bring up the detail that. Uh, so he took cricket. Right, and as he's walking Cricket back to this alley or like in a bush or whatever the fuck, he's like, "Why did he call me a Nance?" Like it really fucking yeah. bothered him. <laughs> Even when Wait, he snapped, just... he, he snapped Cricket's neck. He snapped it on. He called me a fucking Nance. <laughs> Which just adds to the creepiness of this guy. Like he's just really creepy. Um, so Jack feels responsible for this, and he goes after. Uh, the the Chicago guy and I wrote down in my notes this is very gangs of New York style um like it's clearly going to be a war you get your guys I'm going to get my guys and we're going to go to war um and we find out during this whole we're going to war thing Jessica Chastain does not want to watch Forrest die and we find out he didn't walk to the hospital she took him but she not only took him but she took him after after her yeah so um and it's 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 crazy and forrest is like i'm going it's my family it's it's happening we're going to war but, but that, that that little scene was like the tale of two worlds because her intention was like i don't want to see you bleed again and i don't want to have to go through this so right. you better not fucking leave right. and that turned into wait a minute you what happened and then as soon as he found out that's what made him leave Right. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. That's as I didn't even pick up on that. So then, so then you had the shootout, and I wrote down in my notes: this is the order of who gets shot. So Jack gets shot first, then yeah. a bunch of cops get shot, then the driver of the vehicle that was carrying Forrest and Howard and a bunch of other guys. He's he's gone. Yeah, he got he got <laughs> shot like a freaking eyeball, and then Forrest gets shot. And then the Chicago cop gets shot, and then Forrest gets shot, and the Chicago cop gets shot. And that's the end. No. Because you missed the one shot. I think. Maybe. Maybe not. I'm, check it. Check it. Check the tapes. I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> well, so there's it, a story behind those shots. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So if you watched any of the documentary stuff on YouTube, a lot of where this book comes from is these old pictures. This is a real thing that happened. This shootout at the bridge really happened. There's newspaper articles about it. There was a report done. A bunch of people went to prison for this, including the the big head honcho guy. And that's where the book comes from. And this shootout with law enforcement is a real thing that happened in 1930. It's insane. That wasn't even that long ago, to be honest with you. That's crazy. (laughs) But no, so what the crazy part is, so... When Cricket died, one of the deputies or sheriffs or whatever went up to Forrest and was like, hey, we never meant for that to happen. We love that kid, yada, yada. Yeah. And Forrest was like, well, you motherfuckers need to pick a side, you know, because yeah. you, keep, you keep going back and forth. And then you go you go fast forward to the shootout. And so Jack gets shot first, and then mm-hmm. Forrest gets shot, and Forrest um, gets when, back up. When Forrest gets shot, all like everybody in the county shows up yeah. and is like motherfucker. That's when that's when the cops are really like whoa 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 whoa. And you have this kind of lull for a second before it picks back up and the, right. the shooting and begins again. Yeah, well that's when Rakes walks up and he's like, basically, you motherfuckers think that Forrest is immortal. I'm gonna show you that he's not immortal right now. Right. And as he walks up, the de- the deputy that's supposedly on his side. Uh, they had that conversation with Forrest, shoots him in the leg. Right. Uh, and that's when all hell starts breaking loose even more. So yeah. I, I think that was a cool scene. Yeah, I like that. And then that's really the kind of the end of the movie. Forrest lives, and you had this kind of uh, this kind of recap at the end about where, where they go from there. The, the... They jumped to 1940. Yeah, all three brothers ended up living uh, long lives. They have, you know, wives and kids and stuff. Uh, Forrest ends up dying of pneumonia um, very crazy. untheatrically. But uh, that's really it. I do. So I want to go over a couple of things about the movie uh, and how the movie got made. So Shia LaBeouf is actually the first one in the cast that's going to sign on. He signs on alongside James Franco as Howard and Ryan Gosling as Forrest. Really? Yeah. Amy Adams and Scarlett Johansson also get attached to the project, although it's unclear who they would play. 
So do you think it would have been a better or worse movie had that been the cast? Ooh, great question. Uh, worse. I don't think I Ryan Gosling is going to do as good as Tom Hardy. And I like James Franco, but I'm telling you, man, Jason Clark knocked this out of the park. Howard is one yeah. of my favorite characters in this movie. Um, although I do love Amy Adams and Scarlett Johansson. So, But originally it's going to be called the same thing as the book. It's the wettest county in the world. And then the for whatever reason, the the film has quote financing problems which causes everything to fall apart everybody leaves the project except for shia labeouf he stays on attached and the movie changes names to the promised land now shia labeouf uh Mm. watches the movie bronson have you ever seen the movie bronson it sounds familiar it is an amazing movie tom hardy who is english plays charles bronson he is a notorious english criminal um if i remember the story right and i'm gonna just make up some numbers he ended up getting locked up in prison when he was like 17 for like stealing some money like he like he like robbed a convenience store or something something stupid he's been in prison for over 20 something years because he's gotten so many violations while in prison he's just an insane person like he's Bronson and Tom Hardy plays him and it's a, it's a great movie. But anyway, Shia LaBeouf watches that movie and writes Tom Hardy a letter basically saying, you're awesome. I want to work with you. The two of them exchange scripts, although Shia LaBeouf won't say what script Tom Hardy gave him. He gives Tom Hardy this script. Tom Hardy thinks it's amazing. He signs on. The cinematographer recommends Jessica Chastain, who just so happened to see John Hillcock's only other movie and loved it and told him, if you cast me, I'll do it. No problem. Isn't it insane? It's almost sheer luck. It's completely luck. And then like three months before the movie comes out, they change the title to Lawless. So, I, I, I kind of still don't get the title. I mean, I do get the title, but I think it could have yeah, been better. I mean, to be honest with you, any one of those three titles would have been fine. It doesn't really matter to me. Right. But I just think it's crazy how this cast comes together. And I really do think they do a great job. So, okay, the one question I want to, we don't have to do talk on it long, but what is your, I know your thoughts of Tom Hardy now. I mm. want to give you my thoughts of Shia LaBeouf because I would feel better about myself if if you felt the same way. So, okay, <laughs> so in my opinion, um, I think I actually wrote something down just to make sure. Here we go. Okay, so this is what I wrote down for Shia LaBeouf, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the best actors of our generation. Steven Spielberg is the is the was the producer for um, uh, was it Transformers? Mm-hmm. I think that didn't fit Shia LaBeouf's what he's good at. And I think some of the movies that he's been in, like the tax collector for me was phenomenal. I think he, he needs to be able to show his abilities. Like in in movies like this, allow him to not like the transformers. That's my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think he's one of those uh, movie stars that just isn't cut out for big blockbuster movies. He needs to be in indie films. He needs to be in um, period pieces like this. He he fits better there. He's a character actor. He can't right. play a normal human being. He has to play a character. So yeah, I think uh, I th- I think he's a great actor. I think he's one of those actors that I I I think I worry that he might believe his own bullshit too much. Well, probably yeah, I could see that. And, I mean, look and at him. Look at his podcasts or YouTube. Right. Videos. That's the only thing that worries me about him. I, I watch his interviews. I think he's hilarious. I think he's a great guy. He seems really nice. He seems funny. He seems like he's lighthearted and a, and a good guy. Although I guess there's some shit that's come out with, you know, me too and all that other stuff. I don't know any of the details, so I'm not even going to comment on those. But um, I think that as he becomes more and more popular and becomes more and more of this kind of like indie punk, awesome guy, right. uh, he's going to start believing some of his own bullshit. And I worry about that a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. But I think him and Tom Hardy make a great pair. Well, he has a really, he, movie is, is, is phenomenal. He has abilities and however, whether he brings them on or not, when they're out, yeah. they show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Um, so uh, season three brings a lot of changes in the podcast. Uh, new questions. One of those changes is we've got some, some new questions for you this season to help us answer our podcast purpose, which is, 
is this a good movie? Lawless 2012's Lawless. So here we go. The question game. Here we go. All right, question number one. Does the progress and rhythm of the movie fit? That is a great question for this movie. Um, I think I've, I, I can understand if some people thought it was too slow at times. Um, but in my opinion, I think it was perfect the way it was. I think... A lot of the things had to be be played slow for a certain reason, um, but I think yeah, I think it was phenomenal as far as how it was laid out and the progress that it made, and it it was it flowed really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be one of those people that thinks it's a little too slow, but I mean, I literally I mean that it's a little too slow. It's not right. it's not overly slow. Uh, it's just under two hours. I think you could probably shave another 10 to 12 minutes off of this. Well, you shave the um, bullshit like we talked about, like the yeah. sometimes the stupid relationships that don't matter or whatever. Yeah, there's there's some back and forth. But but at the end of the day, I don't think it really handicaps the film. I, I just think it's worth noting that it's, it's a little too long for me. Um, but OK, question number two. What, if any, part of the film speaks to you and why? What part speaks to me? Huh. I mean, as far as speaking to me, I think um, just my favorite part in the whole movie is when uh, he first meets Mason Wardell and Charlie Rakes. I think that to me was just like it's the it's it speaks to me because it's like no matter who you are, what, what man you are, you want to be that you put yourself in those shoes. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, I wish I could be that badass right there. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awesome scene. It was my favorite scene. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's a great scene. Um, I think that i don't know i like Forrest's approach as far as like i don't mind paying off the local cops like i don't i don't mind doing something bad but i'm not going to do it for the the bad guy you know the outsider the one that's not part of my community the one that's not you know my local because i mean even the cops that he pays off locally you kind of get this sense up until the end of the movie he's telling them like pick a side like meaning yeah your law our law you know you're you're our community's law so either be with us or be with them. Yeah, I think it's um it seemed to me like more like almost camaraderie, like almost like it was a family, like, hey, we we know each other, small yeah. town type of shit. And then when these guys came in, they just fucked everything up. I think th- this might be the the person binging Sopranos in me right now, but I like the <laughs> like the the unsaid, the unspoken, like I don't know. There's just some sort of like uh, there's there's rules here. We may be criminals, but there's a there's a code of ethics here, and I like right. that. Um, and then obviously you might have already answered this a little bit, but we bring back the classic question: What is the most important sequence in the movie? Oh, I did not answer it. So that was an important sequence. Pretty important, um, but I think to not be uh, redundant and repeat myself. I think another important one is when Charlie Rakes goes to the house and whoops the shit out of Jack. Yeah. And Jack doesn't fight back. Um, I think that was a very important piece because it made it personal. Mm-hmm. At that point, it became personal. Yeah, I could agree with that. I, honestly, I think the most important sequence is going to be the killing of um, Cricket. And, and the reason why is because I think up until that point, um, you have this this back and forth war going on, but none of them are really taking direct shots. It seems like so. Let me, ask kind you of... this. let me ask you a question, mm-hmm. and this just came to my mind. I didn't have this planned at all. Looking back at this, do you think it might have been oh, because they, they essentially had Cricket and Jack's girlfriend, mm-hmm. and Rakes takes? Why couldn't he take them both? That would have been insane, right? That would have been insane. Yeah. And I th- I think, I mean, that, that actually kind of plays more to even Rakes having some sort of code of honor. I'm saying, like, I'm not going to include the, the females. I'm not going to include the misses. Like, we'll keep this between the gentlemen. Um, but, yeah, that would have been insane. But if you think about it, if it's a gangster movie like that, you want to hit home, you know, hit where the heart is. In, in you know, mafia movies and things like that, they would have went after the girl. hundred hundred yeah. times out of a hundred. 
Yeah, but she's the innocent, right? Like, as an audience member, you're seeing the law include an innocent. Even Cricket, you could argue, isn't innocent. He's working the stills. You know, he's part of the bootlegging operation. But well, she's he's the not. main guy. He's like right. the designer. Yeah. So, I mean, so there it is. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being horrible and 10 being a masterpiece, what rating do you give 2012's Lawless? So... When we were we played disc golf not too long ago, I asked you a question about what your rating is. What's a good rating for, like, say, Rotten Tomatoes or whatever? Mm-hmm. You told me eighty percent you consider a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. I would take that, and I would say I would give this a seven. That yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I would. I might even be able to be talking to like a seven point five. Right. This is yep. a good movie. This is. I saw it when it first came out. This was the second time I saw it. This is one of those movies where I watch it and I don't feel like I wasted my time at all. I probably wouldn't sit down and pick this movie as my movie to watch, but I like it. I mean, if somebody had it on, I wouldn't I wouldn't turn it off. It's a good movie. Right. So, let's get into our favorite segment, Guess That Tomato. Oh shit. I'm always wrong with this. <laughs> This is where I challenge the guests to correctly identify the audience rating for your movie of choice on Rotten Tomatoes. This is 2012's Lawless. You guess 0 to 100, and then I'll give you some clues, and then we'll see if you want to change your guess. So, Rotten Tomatoes. I'm trying to think, because there's so many fucking reviewers, like IMDb and all that (laughs) shit. I'm trying to think of which ones are usually the lower. (laughs) I'm gonna say I'm just gonna keep my seven and make it a seventy. Okay, seventy it is. Okay, first I'll give you the critic score. That's a sixty-six. Well, so the oh, that's not bad. Gave it a sixty-six. That's not bad. Um, but I wonder how close they are to the audience score. And then I'm gonna give you three movies that are within two percent of this movie. So plus or minus two percent of the same score that Lawless has. But this season we're gonna do it a little differently. We're gonna do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, no. So your good movie. The Hateful Eight. This is coming from somebody who is not a Tarantino uh, fan, but this movie is good. It's the whodunit mixed with overlapping backstories and Wild West in the winter, all thrown into a QT blender. This hits the spot. Movie number two, The Bad, Ghostbusters. No, not that one. 2016's all-female-led <sighs> Ghostbusters, that is. Now, before you storm the studio, I like this movie. The bad part was thinking that it was going to withstand the massive shadow the original franchise casts. Some things are just not meant to be remade. Fuck. And lastly, The Ugly. Super Size Me 2. Holy chicken. Oh, no. The, Netflix... the sequel to Morgan Spurlock's breakout documentary, Super Size Me. <laughs> the ugly part? Watching a grown man eat in excess to prove that a place with fried chicken in the name is bad for me. Thanks for the breaking news, Morgan. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of upset that my movie is close to two out of those three. <laughs> So there's your hints. Uh, you rated it a 70. Do you want to change your guess? Fuck. Yeah, because the Ghostbusters 2016 was fucking <laughs> awful. So I'm going to have to go lower, which, and I'm not surprised. I Before I guess, I, I was hoping this movie would be better rated lawless, but I'm going to have to say 65 just because if you're there, if, unless somebody rates the other movies better, that's going to be crazy. So the correct answer is... 74. Really? Yeah, 74. I don't know how those other movies got close to 74. But I was yeah. say, how is that even possible? <laughs> but it's right in line with what we were saying. I think it's a pretty good movie. I mean, it's it's definitely not a movie that I felt bad watching. I've, I've watched many worse movies for the podcast. Right. Um, so, yeah, man, good pick. Well, yeah, well, see, my thing is, like, you don't have to watch. I don't I don't like to watch movies more than once, generally. Mm-hmm. So this, this is one of the movies I would pull out every couple of years. Yeah, and for sure. Watch. Absolutely. Uh, So as you know, it's a firm belief of the owners that don't don't forget a towel that everybody geeks out on something. While it may not be movies and comic books, maybe it's brewing your own moonshine and shooting local cops. So I got to ask you, Mike, what is it you're geeking out on right now? Well, for starters, uh, just football in general. But beyond that, let's get to this disc golf thing. Okay, (laughs) you, me, Joe and Will 
have <laughs> we have a date for Destiny on November right. 6th, right? So the first place is already set in stone with Joe. <laughs> now, I mind you, I think we're going to get better and catch his ass next year. Yeah, for Will sure. comes in fourth. That's not even a surprise. That's not even hey, a surprise. Shout out, you got a hole-in-one, but you still suck. Um, he did get a hole in one. That's the thing. That's the thing that pisses me off the most is that he is horrible at disc golf. He is last place every time we play, but he's got that one thing holding over everybody's head is that he's the only one to get a hole in one. Well, but it was awesome. It was awesome. But uh, no, so I'm looking forward. I'm really actually looking forward to that and just uh, just more football, man. That's pretty much it. The Niners aren't doing too great right now, but you know, you never know what the fuck happens, right? <laughs> yeah man same thing for me like i said i've been watching uh sopranos i'm almost done with that but fantasy football and uh and disc golf has been has been a lot of fun it is going to come the end of the season me and you duking it out for second place i think you got me though right now um but it's definitely going to be a close match and then honestly i'm looking forward to disc golf in the winter i hope Dude, they keep too. i know some of the parks are going to take the stuff down but i think some of them leave them up and i'm excited to go out there and, and see what we can do Oh yeah, I'm sure Basil will still be up for sure. Cause we went there pretty late last year. Yeah, or was it a year and a half ago, whatever. Well, thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. All right, man. No worries. Hey, hit me on again next year, and we'll see. Hopefully, I uh, can make the top ten this year. Absolutely, man. Yeah. <laughs> Later, man.